لكل شيء إذا ما تم نقصان فلا يغر بطيب العيش إنسان هي الأمور بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل وسلم على نبينا محمد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته and welcome to the caravan sorry my name is Bilal and I am one third of your hosting trio joined by brothers Umar and Sadman and today is a very special episode well, where we will be talking about our old university where we met, the International Islamic University of Malaysia. And I'm going to pass things on to Brother Sadman just to give the audience, you know, you guys a brief description of the university. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillah. Jazakallah khair for joining our super casual uh, talk for today. And we're going to talk about um, our university. Um, so the International Islamic University of Malaysia, also we refer to it as IIUM or inside the campus we say UIA, is a public university in Malaysia. Um, it's in Gombak, Selangor, and uh, it has six campuses all over Malaysia, two medical center campuses and a center for foundation studies in Pahang, and two city campuses in where, where we study in Kuala Lumpur, and uh, one more uh, language and tourism campus in uh, Johor, Pago. Um, basically, uh, there's about, I want to say, almost 30,000 students at our university, and it was founded in uh, 1983. And without further ado, I'm going to pass it to Sheikh Omar to, or sorry, Ustaz Omar to, uh, you know, kick off our discussion for today. Jazakallah khairan and assalamu alaikum, everyone. Yeah, so we just thought we'll talk about UIA, the university um, in the Islamic University in Malaysia where we all met. Um, yeah, maybe I, I can start off with why I chose to go to UIA, like coming from Sydney, Australia. Um, at that time, it was, I think, 2018, mid-2018. Um, a lot of the Arab countries had political turmoil or issues. I mean, sham. Uh, Syria was usually the place to go. Um, we all know what happened there. Um, you had Egypt, which is always sort of on like a thin line. You don't know what's going to happen. And you hear about all the discrimination against Muslims. And I think Bilal can talk more about Egypt. He spent a year there or so. Um, yeah, so Malaysia, especially for me, it was close. Uh, the country was stable. It was relatively cheap. Uh, I, I checked out the place online and it looked like it had all these international uh, teachers and professors. <laughs> 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 it didn't turn out like that when we got there, but alhamdulillah, it, it seemed uh, it seemed good. And um, yeah, so I just I just applied online, went through all the hoops. It wasn't too difficult to get in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just rocked up there, not really knowing anyone or anything. And um, hoped for the best, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm delighted. It turned out all right. At least you know the enrollment phase. The enrollment phase. How, how was your guys' experience? Like, why did you guys choose UIA? Um, <clears throat> Bill, you want to talk for that? Or yeah, so? sure. I'll, I'll jump in yeah. there. So, um, uh, I started off studying actually. Uh, well, after the, after I left the US, I was in Jordan and Egypt. Where I'd kind of done my f- more foundational studies over there, and I wanted to continue into a master's program. And I actually originally wanted to do it in Egypt, but because of kind of the political uh, instability that Omar just referenced, 
uh, wasn't the best option. So then I, you know, some people I knew kind of spoke well about Malaysia. They had studied there for some time and studied in uh, UIA or, or IAUM uh, spe- uh, specifically. And so I thought, hey, why don't I just, you know, try and, you know, try my luck over there. So I went, uh, enrolled in the master's program in, in Fiqh and Rasul Fiqh. And um, yeah, I, I guess to answer this question more specifically, you know, uh, like I said, I did my foundational studies in Jordan and Egypt, and I kind of wanted to see how a, a Western-like Islamic institute would, would blend the spirituality with the academic studies. So that was a big pull for me, actually. That's probably um, why I chose it. And uh, uh, yeah, so that's that's me. It was kind of the, the spiritual academic aspect I was looking about looking at uh whether or not i found that i guess we'll discuss that later in the conversation <laughs> but i'll pass things over to sadman um <clears throat> my story uh, not any special like it's not anything special but i was studying in canada at the time a uh, degree in psychology and um i guess i i just didn't feel it there so i went to one of the local sheikhs who i knew for a long time and he said well actually my my goal actually was to become a hafiz, right? So I was like, you know, I'm just going to abandon all my studies and uh, just go do that. <clears throat> so I talked to my dad and he's like, you know, go before you, you know, do anything rash, go talk to someone about this. So I talked to uh, Sheikh Ali and he said, you know, I studied here. Maybe you should go check it out. So one night I just looked at This was actually happened so fast. I never, you know, how Sheikh Omar, he um, kind of did the research. I just did everything blindly. I was like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. So, I searched up online, I applied, maybe like three, four days later, they're like, yeah, you're accepted. Um, I mean, <laughs> the enrollment phase wasn't that hard, like Sheikh Omar was saying. So <clears throat> I got accepted, and my plan was at that time, you know, I'll get accepted here, I'll start my journey somewhere. And in the meantime, I'll apply to Medina and all these other places. And then six months later, I was in Malaysia, and to be honest with you, it was so fast. SubhanAllah, it was so fast. For me, especially, but yeah, that's how I chose my UIA. Just I guess Allah put it in my lap. It wasn't more of a um, deciding, like you know, I looked at many universities and decided on that fact. Well, I'm glad that you guys had a very you know quick enrollment phase. Mine took forever, like really? took forever to get back to me. I was sending out emails and all this stuff, and eventually I just got a. I, I heard from the Malaysian embassy in the U.S. and they were like, "Okay, this is what you need to do." But it was very drawn out for me. They weren't very uh, direct so I think because you were applying for masters me and Omar were applying for bachelors so they were just accepting uh, maybe maybe yeah, that that could be it but I don't I don't think so I think it's just as a master's you know, student did you have to apply to the professor as well and like talk about what you wanted to research and your like a thesis and all that as well or no so that's a good question no actually uh, like in the US if you want to apply for a master's or PhD you have to like get your research kind of approved beforehand but in Malaysia, no. So the first semester you enroll, you take classes, and then at the end of the first semester, you're supposed to present your um, research idea to one of the faculty members, and then they can accept or reject you. So, okay. I mean, I, I never heard of anyone get rejected. So they're gonna, you'll yeah. be able to find someone who's gonna accept your idea, <laughs> uh, even if it's kind of far out there. So, mm-hmm. I've, and I've seen okay. some you know, interesting students in my department, but uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, but the uh, the master's rate is relatively cheap, right, compared to back home? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, like, master's here, uh, master's degrees in the U.S. can run, like, you know, $20,000, about 10000 a semester, and it takes you a year to complete, so that's two semesters, $20,000, but 
in UA, how much was it a semester? Like seven hundred or something, seven hundred dollars a semester. Uh, so you know, re- uh, relatively, you know, uh, cheap compared to the U.S. But uh, I think now they've actually raised the tuition like right. by like, by like ten times or something insane like that. I think they doubled yeah, it. Too. No, I think it's more than doubled. I, think, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, all tuitions went up. I remember when I was doing the language program, it was six hundred ringgits, which is about two hundred Canadian dollars, and now it's about three thousand ringgits. Which is about a thousand Canadian dollars. So see, that's not that's not a ten time increase, but that's definitely a massive <clears throat> increase. I mean, we don't even pay a thousand dollars for a, a normal class here in the university. So considering, no, go ahead. <laughs> did the numbers in the university drop after that price? I want to say raised, but it's more like I don't what you would call that. Yeah, I, I'm assuming then, like a lot of the kids who, I mean, a lot, there was a lot of poor students in UIA in Malaysia. So if we could, if we're wondering if we should do it, then imagine the students who could, there's a lot of students who couldn't eat a couple, you know, they would eat once a day. So I, I'm, I'm pretty sure for those students, uh, it was probably, but, but the thing is, here's the thing the, 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 the older students, it didn't apply to them. It only applied to the newer students who hadn't uh, been enrolled yet. So that's also something to think about. But it'll definitely disincentivize new foreign students to want to study there, right? Right. You know, you the, you guys were like what we called grandfathered in because you were there beforehand. The new rules don't apply to you, mm-hmm. so you you still you guys are still paying uh, at least Sadman's still paying old tuition. But for the new students coming in, they'll have to pay the new, uh, you know, crazy high prices. So exactly something to consider. But what do you guys have to say about uh, kind of the faculty uh, in your departments? I think all three of us were in, in different departments. I was at Sulafiq, Sadman, Quran, and Sunnah, Omar was at Sulafiq. So what do you guys have to say about the faculty? Well, you know, Maybe Omar wants to shed some light. Um, yeah, so, so um, Sulafiq, when I came to UIA, I had to do like a semester of Arabic, and they had a sort of Arabic, you had to be at a particular level of Arabic, which itself... Sort of, you needed, I think, like sixty. What is it, sixty or seventy percent? Sadman. It was it was it was a six out of nine, like band six, six band, yeah, band six okay. out of nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so with that band, you're able to enter the the faculty and begin studies in Arabic. Um, but just on that, I mean that the Arabic level was really low, like the bar was really low. So, like, I found, and I think a lot of other students found that they pass the Arabic foundation level, but they go into uni, and the professors are speaking in Arabic, and all your texts are in Arabic, classical Arabic, and a lot of us just couldn't really understand what was going on or, or keep up, you know. So that was like a a big minus just there, trying to even understand um, what's going on in class. Um, and I saw like a lot of students came from China. They had like similar problems with Arabic. You know, it's really hard for Chinese people to learn a language because they've just grown with one language their whole life, or most of them. Um, yeah, so that was one thing. A, a, a different thing about my kulia was 70% of the subjects were in English. Um, it's only like 30% were in Arabic, uh, which was good and bad. You know, like I always had the thought going in, at least I can come and learn Arabic to a decent degree. You know, so I can do my own research, uh, read classical texts, uh, listen to to scholars and stuff. Um, so, but at the same time, it was uh, it was much easier, obviously, being in English and like 
that first semester, I felt maybe I'll go easy on the Arabic, and I had a lot of um, English subjects to choose from. Um, it, it was it was good in the sense as uh, Bilal was saying in probably Usuluddin is probably the best that sort of emerges Islamic tradition with like Western um, scholar scholarly heritage. Um, so you know you learn quite a bit about like philosophy in Islam and aqidah and like the ilmul kalam the ashari uh, maturidi schools of thought and and things like that um which was it was very eye opening you know it was very eye opening but again it was it was it was very easy to get through as well and you didn't really feel like you were learning that much you know in class you know it was like sort of superficial basic stuff intro- introductory stuff which i guess at the bachelor level uh is is understandable but probably not it wasn't really up to the quality you expect like in america for example and the universities in america like so it was, it was quite basic level usa well. USA, <laughs> usa um yeah but the best thing about it was just meeting all the people you know like you met you guys uh met a lot of professors met a lot of research students you know from all over the world i mean in, in that ex- that in that aspect I, I, it was unbeatable you know yeah even though the, the teaching that. was maybe not the best i would say the curriculum too like uh, if you don't know any arabic and you go to malaysia to learn arabic it's uh, you're gonna be struggling a lot because the curriculum isn't there to uh, build a strong foundation i think you'd be better off being like let's say a semester in jordan or egypt than two years in malaysia um yeah, so that I struggled a lot in the Arabic program. Like, I, obviously, a huge part is your own effort, but I mean, guidance from teachers and a good, you know, a good um, curriculum is also uh, prudent to someone being successful in the language, right? Um, so, would you guys, as undergrad students at UIA, uh, would you guys say that you kind of maybe? wouldn't recommend UIA as your first stop. Like it should be do your Arabic and then jump over type of thing, you know? Yeah. Personally, I would not recommend bachelors at all at UIA. Truth <laughs> 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 <It> comes out. <laughs> but I would, I would recommend it for postgrad studies, uh, like master's, PhD research, you know? I mean, you've got a lot of resources there. Um, you can pursue something to do, something in the Islamic sort of sphere, that can benefit the ummah, benefit yourself. Um, yeah, but for, for bachelors, it's not too different actually from going to university in, in any university in the Western country, um, just learning Islam, except your teachers are also Muslims and the students are also Muslims, you know, so. I mean, I'm a little mixed about that. I feel like uh, for someone who's never left home and then they ex- they need to experience the world for the first time, Malaysia is a really good place to start. I mean, unless you're Bilal who just jumps into Egypt. Uh, <laughs> I guess I think you went to Jordan before you did Egypt, right? Yeah, jumping into Jordan. Yeah, but I mean, if, if like, let's say you come like less from a Western country, you don't know anything about the outside world. Malaysia is a very good place to kind of acclimate to the international environment without um, being too shocked. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, it's easy. It's easy to. It's the, the rules aren't as strict, and your the ability to you know kind of find yourself and study. 
So I guess uh, what I was trying to say is that once you find yourself and you know you've gone through the the you know the homesickness and the being away from parents and just being alone and studying, if you can take that and that person and now go into Egypt or go into somewhere where it's really intense and intensive, I think you can really benefit because there's a lot of people who like you know get accepted to Medina, but a semester later they can't handle living alone or you know all the other things that are with that. So then they miss out on the on the knowledge and they also miss out on the whole experience. And so maybe if they went to Malaysia or somewhere a little bit easier and then jumped into that, maybe it would have been better for them. Yeah. So you would kind of recommend it as a stepping stone for this for the sake of like a uh, like a growing experience, not necessarily academic. Yeah, not necessarily academic, but if you want to if you're in your shell and you need to just experience something, uh, yeah. I would really recommend it for that reason. But for for the studies itself, uh, I think you could probably learn more Arabic by yourself at home if you have the right, um, you know, the right drive and the right uh, material. But yeah, that's what I'd say. How how's your experience, Bill, as a master's student uh, studying there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it was a bit different uh, in that you know it's more research oriented, obviously, because you're writing a thesis or a very long. Uh, research paper for publication and so there's less expectancy that your your classes will kind of hold your hand uh, but I still feel like the classes there weren't uh, instructional enough it was too many presentations from the students there wasn't enough instruction from the teachers and I understand that at the master's level there's going to be a little bit less instruction uh, but I feel like um, in a lot of my classes uh, there was like next to none and mm-hmm. I was I didn't really like that so much. I felt like, you know, if you're going to a classroom, you should be hearing from the teacher. Um, and so uh, I wasn't so keen on that kind of academic aspect. But uh, to touch on what Sadman just said now about the experience um, of living in Malaysia, you know, I, I had lived in, in Jordan and Egypt before, which are, you know, harsher environments. And I definitely found uh, Malaysia more palatable. Mm-hmm. Like I could see how Western Muslims could come there and kind of seamlessly shift right into the lifestyle and then kind of use it as a stepping stone mm-hmm. uh, for Egypt. So, yeah, I, I would agree with that assessment. But uh, if you can really honestly tough it out uh, in Egypt, Jordan, or, you know, one of the other Arab countries that's a bit more stable now, I would recommend just going there first, getting the Arabic down and then jumping over mm-hmm. uh, to do like a master's degree or a PhD because you can just do your research and, um, uh, if you're if you're okay with not getting the greatest instruction in class, you can just do your research and then mm. I'll leave. Yeah, there's a lot of people. They even they go back to their home countries, don't they? I think we saw Dr. Omar Suleiman who was doing his PhD there. Mm-hmm. That's true. He, so he came, I think, a few times a year. Yeah, the time he was. That's true. Uh, just That's true. Working from home, so yeah, it's really flexible in in that regard. But um, but I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, sorry, I cut you off, man. I was just about to say, uh, Sadman, you had a similar experience with the presentations, didn't you? You've always yeah. <laughs> complaining about it every time we meet. <laughs> I mean, when you imagine yourself as a student of knowledge, you're thinking like you're going to sit at the feet of uh, some great ulama or sheikh and, you know, just learn from them, right? Halaqa uh, after halaqa or, you know, classes after class. Even in a normal situation in the universities in the West, you're rarely giving presentations. You're just constantly listening to lectures and they say, like, you know, the best way to succeed in the West, at least, is to attend your lectures. This is so big. They always tell you that. But, <laughs> I mean, here, uh, there, I, I don't want to, like, I have a class, and this is personal experience. Every class so far has been just presentations from students. 
So I mean, you you become well versed in the present in the topic that you're given, but then all the other topics you you just you know you're kind of there, and like someone who maybe has a PhD who's a doctor, and you want to learn from him. No, you're learning from a student who barely knows Arabic, just like you. So that is a huge drawback, and I think uh, Omar uh, faced that. You faced that too, right? When you were yeah, yeah, I faced yeah. That so yeah. So one subject I think was Arabic grammar. Yeah, it was just a different group um, presenting each week, uh, each each class. Sorry, and then we were, we were getting through all the groups, and I was like, yes, at least finally the professor will be able to teach us. <laughs> but what he did, he started looping us around. <laughs> Uh, so we had each, each group had to do a presentation again, a second presentation. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah. also, there's, there's another pitfall with that. What if the other students just give really bad presentations, like they don't research it well? You know, exactly. then you're not going to learn the information exactly. uh, well yourself. So it's kind of a, another issue there. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that <laughs> may Allah protect us, but I think ma- not majority, but a lot of the classes are like that, and it's a shame because the Dalai teachers they know a lot, but they they just I don't know they. I don't know what the reason is as to why they do this, but it seems to be something that most of the teachers do. And it's not just like one type of teacher. So That's true. Uh, and I, I think it's more of an administrative issue. I think if the teachers uh, kind of had a freer schedule, they would honestly be okay with uh, just teaching the class. But unfortunately, from what I've seen, and I worked a lot with the administration in my department, mm-hmm. like the teachers are saddled with things they shouldn't be saddled with. Like, for example, they have to find their own classrooms to teach in. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas in, let's say in the United States, you know, every teacher's assigned a room for a year and this is what you're going to teach uh, in this classroom. But like right. my teachers were bouncing around, carrying books all over the place. And then they didn't have a lot of, um, uh, they also, uh, they couldn't afford to pay uh, research assistants that much. So like they couldn't hire, professors couldn't hire research assistants to help them with research. And so they couldn't uh, kind of, kind of distribute the workload to, to, to graduate students. Right. And and when they could distribute the workload, it was only to Malaysian students most of the time. The government would not allow foreigners to get grants. Right. Uh, so that was a, kind of an interesting um, uh, thing I noticed there. I didn't know that. That's re- quite ridiculous. About the grad students? You got to find your own classrooms. I mean, oh, yeah. Just like, Wait, is that for every teacher? There? Uh, at least the one, this issue I saw with, with, um, kind of at least the ones I was with in my department who had also okay. been some of your professors as well so that's that's kind of an issue because they shouldn't have to do that that should be an administrative job for someone else and like I said you know they again with their research workload because they have to publish foreign faculty have to publish at least again from the ones I saw like five articles a year in order to keep their position their contract because it's on a yearly basis uh, so they have this pressure to publish right. Mm-hmm. Uh, every you know every few months in order to get their their five article quota in for the year and they can't even like i said kind of distribute that workload into grad students because they can't really hire them so their job what they're thinking in their head probably is i need to write these articles i can have them do presentations in class because i need to keep my job so it's not even uh, right i think it's not even really their fault i think they would love to teach but like they just they're too busy you know they're pressured otherwise yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, here you're just focusing on teaching people. Over there, I guess, and like you said, there's a lot of other factors involved. And uh, what what do you guys have to say about kind of the administrative running of the university? <laughs> I mean, everything from renewing visas to getting food to, you know, uh, uh, registering for classes, 
things like that. Yeah, I mean, if if you're if you're a soft individual, you really you have to grow a thick skin here because and the visa the the visa department will send you back in and out three, four, five times just to get one thing done. And I think that's almost every faculty, like trying to get a room, trying to you know trying to buy a bike or anything that you want to do. It's always the third or fourth time that it gets registered. I think I think I, you can explain it well with uh, what I call the UIA tour. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as soon as you go in, you you need something done. You go to the place <laughs> you think would surely yeah, yeah. Must sort this yeah. out here at this office. So you go in, you tell them your problem, yeah. and then they'll send you. Oh, we don't do this. You please go to so and so place. So place. There, yeah. Yeah. You go over there, and then they say, "Oh, look, we don't do this. You need to go to so and so place over there." And then it just continues until you have like a really good tour of the university, and you know where every place is. That's really true. <laughs> I like I like that name, the UIA tour, man. That's yeah. that's true. You burn a lot of calories, a lot of yeah. calories on that UIA tour because it's also hot in Malaysia. For those of you that don't know that, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, my experience with the administration was again it wasn't that good. Like a, stuff I just mentioned about kind of the inner workings of the uh, academia, but also like I feel like day to day stuff getting you know, paperwork done and things stamped. And uh, like Gomer said, you get the UIA tour. They're constantly sending you uh, from place to place. And a task that should take literally, you know, 30 minutes every day, it gets drawn out to a week-long affair sometimes. Oh Just yeah. tell us about how long you stayed after trying to get your master's finished. I mean, I might start crying. So for the audience, I apologize <laughs> because this was a traumatic experience. Uh, but basically, it took me a whole extra semester you know, several months to basically get out of there. I had to wait for Senate meeting confirmation uh, right. for my uh, for my thesis, but they kept getting pushed back, kept getting canceled. And, you know, then I found out that I had to get a, a paper signed that I didn't know about because I wasn't informed about it. There isn't right. one place you can go to online. Uh, so if you're a postgraduate student at UIA, you have your main office is CPS, Center for Postgraduate Studies. You think they would have like a checklist on their website. If you want to graduate, these are the forms you need, the order you need to fill them out in, where you need to go to get them done. doesn't exist. You know, like Omar said, you will get the UIA tour. Uh, and, cons- and, and and if you make a mistake, it's your mistake. It's no one else's. They'll never they'll never admit that, at least not in my experience anyway. So, uh, yeah, Sada, what do, you, what do you have to say? I mean, yeah, it's un- it's unfortunate. Because uh, mo- a lot of students, they leave after right after they finish their master's, but they don't wrap up uh, the, the, the end, like, you know, all the, the stuff at the end. And then two or uh, almost a year or two years later, they're still trying to wrap it up from their countries. And um, I've, we've had a lot of friends where we had to do some things for them. And, uh, yeah, they, they're they like in and out trying to finish their master's. And it's kind of unfortunate. And you had to pay for another semester fees as well, yeah, Bilal and lodging and everything. Yeah, yeah, I did, but I had to pay uh, for lodging, but I didn't have to uh, pay for for classes because like I'm oh, technically okay. done, right? Yeah. So, but still, you know, it's time, you know, and you, you never get that time. I try. I mean, don't get me wrong; I made the best of it. I, you know, continued mm-hmm. uh, my own personal studies and just met great people, had a good time, and you know, more time in the Muslim world, experiencing uh, the things over there. I think is great, but. Uh, it was kind of it was kind of a bit forced because I would have liked to have gone home to be honest with you. So yeah, I think our our perspective is a little bit harsh because we come, alhamdulillah, from the west where you know everything just happens right away. Like you're not having any tours. You barely know your campus because you just go one place, you get it done, and classes are proper. And 
uh, Malaysia is also a developing com- uh, country with the, and the, the university. I mean, I think it lacks a lot of money. I'm sure if they had a lot of that money that uh, that they need, they would be able to maybe you know have more better fa- faculties and facilities. Maybe that's true. I mean, the finance. Sorry, go ahead, Omar. No, no, you're right. Go yeah, on. I was going to say finance is it, it's a big part. Uh, when we were there, there was a political scandal unrolling, <laughs> unraveling mm-hmm. a little bit, where uh, you know the prime minister of the country was uh, found guilty of stealing like how many hundreds of millions of dollars, if I'm not mistaken, um, from the country. So who knows, that could have gone to the university as well. And uh, there were budget cuts going on while we were there. Faculty mm-hmm. was being laid off. And a lot of the international faculty, which is the draw for a lot of people, is being laid off. You know, actually, uh, mm-hmm. the head of my department, Dr. Lukman uh, Zakaria, shout out to him. He's never going to hear this, but here you go. <laughs> um, uh, uh, he, he quit. You know, he, yeah. he parted ways. You uh, kind of at the beginning of uh, you know the pandemic, so they lost. They lost a great guy. You know. Yeah, yeah, it's fun a lot. Um, I think as we were go- going into UIA, was sort of going on that decline. Um, yeah, yeah, this is you, especially especially losing a lot of those faculty members, which was what I was hoping for. Mm-hmm. It was a disappointment when I got there, and um, yeah, not to say there's great Malaysian uh, scholars or professors there are. Um, but like, especially coming from like Arabic, um, Arab countries, yeah. coming with an Arabic focus, you want to learn Arabic, mm-hmm. uh, you, you would have hoped that there'll be Arabic teachers and teachers from other countries that can sort of broaden your perspectives. Right. Um, yeah, but it became, I think more Malaysian. I think it's probably now even more, more yeah. Malaysian. Yeah, probably. Less international, those, more national. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, I think my teacher, he went almost uh, 12, 13 years ago, and he said they it was the heyday for them. There were a lot of international students, a lot of inter- international teachers, um, programs going on, and um, the whole atmosphere of uh, IAUM was much different than uh, what we experienced it as. So for sure, it's, it, was, it was on a decline. So we, we, we've talked quite a bit about you know, kind of the academic and administrative side of things. But what did you think about the student body and, and life in Malaysia in, in general? Any let's let's focus on the students. What do you guys think of the quality of the students? The spirit, you know, kind of the, the spiritual atmosphere of the university. You know, um, <laughs> I, 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 I think anyone who wants to go to UIA should know that it's not strictly an Islamic university, like just an Islamic Please. university. Please so, know like, that. So you also got, you also have like a business faculty there, economic faculty, arts yeah. faculty, uh, engineering faculty, and engineering faculty, the horn of Satan at the university. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> no, no, no offense. <laughs> that, that actually might be economics. Um, but yeah, so... You, you, it's not you're not if you're gonna go there and think oh there's gonna be some beautiful brothers you know we're gonna share tea and break bread together well that does uh, happen gonna... <laughs> it does happen but it's you know it's it's when i was at university here at sydney um it was similar like you had a smaller body of like more religious people right it was i felt similar at uia you know, at Islamic university I see what you mean. Like the body of religious people was just a bigger number. At, it's a um, bigger number. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. And uh, there's there's a lot of other issues. Oh, it's like yeah, I mean, like I even heard of homosexual students there. 
you know. Um, so it's if you're expecting that Islamic environment, it's not exactly what you're going to get. Again, you have to look for those people out. Yeah. Um, stay with them. Um, maybe stay with certain professors as well. Um, yeah, it's it's. Yeah, it's, I, I remember before I left, I thought it, we, I was gonna show up and everyone's gonna be like holy and like <laughs> angels flying around, <laughs> halos and stuff. And then a couple of weeks passed by, I'm like, damn, I was more <laughs> spiritual back home. But uh, in 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 light, I I think it has both 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 parties. I mean, you find what you're looking for. If you go there to you know find something else, you'll find it. But if you go there to find a couple brothers. Who uh, raise your spiritual state and uh, push you to become better in your iman? You'll find that for sure. Yeah. 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 What did you think, Bill? I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I I would agree with kind of what, what both you guys are saying. Uh, like Omar's disclaimer was good that if you're going and you're expecting, you know, it's not just an Islamic university. There are students studying the secular sciences as well. Um, and so you, you kind of have that there and you should be aware of it. And like you said, Sadma, don't expect it to be, you know, angels flying around and, mm -hmm. uh, like the holiest place on, on planet earth. Uh, it is ultimately, and I know this is going to sound really generic and cliche, but it is what you make of it. If you want to find those religious brothers and stay with them, you can find them. If you want to be doing, you know, kind of, uh, any Maasi and the noob, like mm -hmm. you can do in the West, then you can do it uh, in Malaysia as well. You can find all the, that same stuff. You can find homosexuality, uh, drugs. You can you know go out there and be womanizing, you know exactly. And so it's it's all there. And the city's not even that far from us. Uh, mm -hmm. For the audience, you know, the, the university's located actually in a jungle valley and uh, outside of Kuala Lumpur. But you're only about uh, 20, 25 minutes from the city realistically. So if you want to go there and you know enjoy the vices of the city they're all there believe me um so but yeah that's kind of my take the campus is beautiful though it's very nice um yeah. the, general, the general outlay and the trees and like you you get like this spiritual nature vibe and also i think um Bilal and i we, we talked about this a lot is that um in the west you don't hear an adhan right so it, while we were on campus you were here you were here you would hear five times the adhan so that was a huge um part of you know increasing your iman even if you just leave just to hear the adhan which was huge when we would come back to the west we would be like you know i'm missing the adhan and that five times you know going to the masjid that was a huge part of um living on campus i think yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would, I agree with that. It was nice, obviously, hearing the then and being able to go to the masjid and you know feeling and seeing your your religion not being practiced by everyone around you, which is something we're not used to in the West, right? We're normally uh, from a minority population uh, uh, demographic living in Western countries, and so we're not so used to seeing our religion practiced so so openly. So that's always nice. But ultimately. You don't have to be at UIA to get that experience. You could just go to a different Muslim country and hear the Adhan and, you know, go to a masjid and such. So yeah. it's or not just download the app. Anyway. Just download the Adhan <laughs> app, yeah. There you go. Yeah, but what do but, you guys have to say about the city? Oh, sorry, Salman. I was just going to say, how was your experiences uh, during Ramadan there when you guys were? I think both of you guys were there during Ramadan, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I loved Ramadan there, man. It was, it was awesome. Yeah, Ramadan was sick. See, you guys are smiling. Yeah. I can see. <laughs> Ramadan, Ramadan for me was dope. When I, I think I was there, uh, one Ramadan, all of it, and another Ramadan, 10, 10 days. But um, actually, I was there during the pandemic. And when Ramadan started, they stopped doing Tarawih at the big masjid. Mm -hmm. 
and we just did uh, thought we with just a couple brothers in our small masjid in Ruqayya and that was uh, next level man it was like five seven guys we went through the whole Quran and that was oh man if I if I could have taken anything from my two years of, that would have just that Ramadan was yeah that was amazing nice. I don't know about you guys how, how, how was your experiences with Ramadan yeah um I was there, I think, the year before that. So we would go, like, to a lot of mosques. <laughs> uh, like, all the around time. Malaysia. Try, yeah, we'll try different mosques around Malaysia. Yeah. Um, they, had, they, have, they had these, like, uh, festivals, not festivals, but, like, all these stalls in some parks. And you can just yeah. come in. And there's all food you can choose to pick and buy, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah, and then just, you know, the after Tarawi talks, Chilling, with the boys. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're great, man. Yeah, yeah, with, with, with the Adani chai, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was sitting with Balal there and some other brothers. Um, after Tadawi, left man. us at that point, yeah. yeah. For a man that loves Ramadan in Malaysia, he sure left pretty quickly. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I was there two Ramadan, so this was the Ramadan before that they're roasting me on, as usual. But, you know, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Ramadan in Malaysia was great, especially in the university. Uh, you know, the atmosphere is very lively and you can do, there are multiple places where you can actually pray Tarawih, mm-hmm. right? So it's not just the main masjid, the each, some of the uh, masallas in the, um, I guess, mahallas, how do, how do we want to translate that here? The dorms? Yeah, the, dorm the, areas. Dorm, the dormitories. Some of the dormitories have their own little masallas, so they also do Tarawih in there. And so, and like Omar, like said, you know, you can also go around the city and pray different masajid and see all that stuff. But I like the accessibility. I can go to a masjid, you know, pray and if, see all the, this huge jamaat there and, you know, then go sit in the back, read the Quran and go join again. And then afterwards, get your tea and just discuss and try to solve the world's issues. Right. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and then uh, go to sleep and wake up and do it again. So. Yeah. Also, and, also, sorry. One last thing: uh, the fasting in Ramadan uh, in, in Malaysia isn't even that long. Yes. Yeah. So uh, it's not even it's that. Easy. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, I I think we should mention this, but the food was also good. We you could because here there's not a lot of halal places, but maybe Australia there's a little bit more than us uh, in in North America. But man, we used to go to uh, there's a place called uh, Hadramaut. We would be there every Friday, and then. You know, around the city, anywhere you go, there's like halal food of anything you want. So whatever your mind can imagine, uh, yeah. you can go ahead and order that. So that was that was a huge blessing because when I come back to Canada, it's like you can't eat McDonald's, you can't eat KFC, you can't eat that, you can't eat this, and then kind of feel sad, right? But then in Malaysia, you just have, you're on a spree. It's like what can't I eat? So I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that. I, that's huge. I, I I enjoyed that part of Malaysia for sure. Would you you guys enjoy that or? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I definitely agree with you. Just uh, the absolute plethora of, of places that you can eat at. Anything you can imagine, they have a halal version of it in Malaysia. And also, you're in the, the, the country's capital, so it's quite developed. They have even foreign, so many foreign uh, franchises there. Uh, right. you, you can basically find anything. Uh, but I, I started to miss home-cooked food. And also, for those of you uh, listening, uh, so all three of us lived inside the university. And so you can't really cook that much. Mm-hmm. There, there aren't really facilities that are that good. Uh, the ones that are available, like full of lizards and God knows what else, and I would never cook anything there. So you're kind of forced to eat out. But if you live outside, I'm sure you can get a nice kitchen and cook your own food. But uh, for us three specifically, we had to uh, go outside a lot and eat. Yeah, yeah, we 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 were definitely either it was the canteens or um, we were ordering or we were driving out to uh, get food. 
for sure. Yeah, and also uh, the scenery. There's a lot of places that we went to, which was beautiful. We went to Perhentian. We went to Terengganu. Um, it's just uh, like the scenery is. I don't know how to explain it. It was just really beautiful because it's all green, uh, luscious. You would think you know it's a part of paradise is here. So, especially Perhentian. When we went to Perhentian, there was Perhentian is an, an island in the north part, right, of Malaysia. So. When we went there, we we had to like ride out to the island, and we were there for I would say three, I think three days, and we still talk about it till today. And it was really, it was it was a good experience for sure. And yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, you know, the, Malaysia is an absolutely you know beautiful country. There's no there's no denying that. So, you know, uh, even even like Nasabon said, the university itself is fantastic. Uh, the city is well maintained as well. Kuala Lumpur, I'm referring to, is is nice and. It's pretty cheap to get around for the most part. Even airfare is not that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but bus system is pretty good as well. So it, it's kind of easy for you to go adventure on a... If you want to go to a different province in Malaysia on break, you can absolutely do that by bus or uh, airplane. Yeah, and even getting a car isn't that... It's not too bad. You you got a car, right? Yeah, I had a car. But my car was a bit uh, on the expensive side. But you can find something for literally like, you know, like a beater for like a few hundred mm-hmm. dollars. And especially if you just want to drive inside the university into the gas station to, to get gas again, you don't need a, a kind of a, uh, a more expensive car. I think actually the smarter thing to do for students coming in, especially if they're single, probably get a motorcycle. Get a bike. You know, those are, those are pretty cheap as well. And then just uh, kind of move around campus and... For those of you that aren't familiar with Malaysia, the traffic laws are pretty lax, so you can go wherever you want on your bike or even in your car. But if you have a bike, you have much more maneuverability. You can just go from place to place pretty quickly. One thing I wanted to add is um, the campus is really big, so uh, the opportunities to walk was a lot. You got a chance to walk from your classes to the masjid to back to your room. And those walks, I think, were essential in um, just... You know, having a fresh mind and thinking, you and just said, being. Huh? You said the chance to walk, man. We were forced to walk. I, if, I mean, I yeah. Can, I mean, you had a car, so. You know, <laughs> you even were, with the car, you, you, how much you walk? To walk. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's crazy. You like, have to walk a lot, so you're forced to be with yourself in your mind uh, while you're walking. And those walks were, for me at least, very beneficial. I had a lot of ch- time to do dhikr and you know remember Allah, and uh, just uh, be one with the. My walk, I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> it was there for, yeah, it was really nice, I, I would say. Yeah. yeah, there's also the oval there, yeah, with the tracks. Um, yeah, there's a gym. The I, never went, I never went to the gym. Do you guys ever go to the gym? Yeah, we didn't go to the well, We went to the stadium, stadium yeah. yeah, stadium, yeah. Stadium was nice. Uh, me and Blah would a, frequently go there. There was a yeah. swimming pool as well, I remember. Yeah. I never got a thing getting in there. No. <laughs> <laughs> I never we didn't, yeah, we didn't get to the pool, but the track was nice. We would walk so, around it. We would yeah. skip on it. Yeah. Did you guys ever see that big Komodo dragon looking thing? Yeah. Yeah. Many uh, times. Not, not once. <laughs> yeah. Monitor lizard. So, so, yeah, we can talk about the wildlife. Monitor lizard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> we're gonna have a whole session on the wildlife. <laughs> <laughs> so th- this lizard was uh, had to be what, like ten meters long or something. It was, it was huge. It was a massive Two or three feet. Yeah, yeah. It was scared of humans though, but um, it was pretty terrifying. You know, the, the size of that I thing mean, it was like a baby Godzilla. 
<laughs> I thought, you know, first time I saw it, I thought it was a Komodo dragon. I'm like, why are we all worried about it going extinct? There's so many here. <laughs> that first time. But yeah, they have so many. They have monkeys. I remember in Rukaya, if you just uh, keep your window open and there's some bread in your room, uh, bye bye to that bread because you ain't going to see it in the next morning. <laughs> and then we had a lot of cats. Um, we had fish. It's like a zoo, pretty much. Uh, oh, wild, wild boar. Th- that wasn't that common, but you would see, it. and also dingoes. Yeah, yeah, dingoes dingo. on campus as well. So, yeah. especially in our our dormitory, Rukaya, you would see dingoes. Where'd you see uh, boars? In Rukaya. Yeah, oh, wow. like, I heard those boars uh, chased people even. Really? Yeah, that, that, they're actually quite yeah. uh, dangerous. They're a bit uh, yeah. uh, very angry creatures, I guess might be a way to describe them. So you actually <laughs> want to keep your distance because you know they weigh a couple hundred pounds and they have they have tusks, so they run at you. And you could be in trouble, so definitely avoid them. Also, snakes. Mm-hmm. Snakes, be on the lookout for snakes and kind of smaller lizards and geckos in your room. And uh, yeah, it's quite the quite the zoo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I remember I'd be sending snaps back home, like you guys. Are, you know, I don't even have to go anywhere for the zoo. It's right here in my backyard. So it was it was an experience. That part, at least. Yeah. I feel like we we didn't touch on the the, the uh, kind of like let's talk all about the diversity of the student body. I think Omar touched on it a little bit mentioning the Chinese students, but I, I want to say like a third of the student body was like international. Really? Is that, fair? is that a fair statement, or is it more? I feel like it's less. Maybe actually. Less, yeah. I mean, I think uh, out of the international students, number one was uh, Chinese, and then it was yeah. uh, uh, Bengalis. I think I want to say Bangladeshis yeah. were number two. And then it was probably the Arabs, all of the Arabs mixed together. And then there was this very small population of Westerners. Probably like you can count all of them on one hand or two hands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then some of the African countries like Mali and Nigerians. Yeah, it's uh, quite a few yeah. Indians too. Oh, yeah. Indians. Yeah. So subcontinent areas. Pakistan, Pakistanis. Yeah. Well, there wasn't that many Pakistanis. I think from the subcontinent, yeah. it was definitely Bengalis. I mean. Yeah. Bengalis and Indians and very few Pakistanis. Bilal was probably the only one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so there was like, uh, even because even the Pakistani group was like 15 people. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. so uh, Bengalis were always sweeping the elections, man. I was winning. All the <laughs> <seats>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, there was a lot of Bengalis for sure. You know, the Chinese students weren't that active in the student body now that I think about it. Did you ever see uh, any one of the Chinese students running for anything or doing being that active? Very yeah, insular yeah. kind of. I feel like the Malaysians really kept to themselves and also the Chinese, they really kept to themselves. Um, yeah, I, I barely had any Malaysian friends. I had one or two and that was even after these Malaysians were like the ones that were really outgoing and they've maybe left Malaysia and they've experienced other places and Bilal probably knows who I'm talking about, but, um, uh, it was very few Malaysians who, uh, they, I think they like to be within their own circles, uh, Right. Yeah. 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 Do you have, guys ever experienced any racism in Malaysia? Racism. Oh. What do you mean by that? Uh, I don't know. How would you define racism? <laughs> I mean, did anyone discriminate against you because they thought you were, you know, not from Malaysia? Or. Oh. Okay. I see. I. I, I felt there was some against like African students. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I would I agree. agree with that. I agree with those. Yeah, especially, but other than that, it wasn't too bad. 
You know, I, I feel like, you know, like the, the kind of the, the, the bad situations that I encountered, I don't know if they were racist or they were just really incompetent at what they were doing. You know, like, for example, I needed something done and they weren't doing it that quickly. You know, uh, I don't think that they were being racist about it. Like, oh, this guy's from this country. I'm not going to help him. I just think that they were probably bad at their jobs. Uh, and so that was my experience. But I never really faced any kind of outright experience, a racism, ex- racist experience that I can think of uh, firsthand. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I think I've seen it more than I've experienced uh yeah, I heard about the, uh, some of the African students, you know, they were unfortunately the recipients of, uh, you know, kind of uh, racism over there. And also the Chinese students as well. Yeah. I've seen some of that. SubhanAllah. Yeah, unfortunately, that, I guess you can't really eradicate that anywhere, everywhere. Um, versions of that still exist. Um Maybe we can take the question about um, if there was a language barrier between us and students there. Did you guys experience yeah. any of that? I mean, uh, there is obviously a language barrier. We're, you know, native English speakers and, um, you know, English is only one of the many, many languages spoken at the university. I know it's supposed to be the administrative language of the university is English for the most mm-hmm. part, but um, it's more, it, it, it's very, uh, how do I say this? like low level functional English. Like if you want to, you know, order something very specifically, they'll be able to understand you, but like, uh, in a kind of broken English, but they won't be able to like carry, have a long drawn out, um, conversations about, you know, heavy topics for the most part with the student body or, um, uh, you know, some of some of the faculty struggled, but for the most part, I had an easier time communicating myself to the faculty Mm -hmm. and a lot of the student body. So, I think I struggled with this in terms of I would want to learn Arabic, but most people, they just want to speak English with you because they know you can speak English. I think that I went through that a lot. Like a lot of Arabs will be like, no, you don't speak Arabic. He's like, no, I want English. Yeah, and that's right. That was a huge problem I went through um, yeah. until I met people who couldn't speak any English at all and they had no interest in learning English. I, I That's like in the pandemic, at least. I had a couple of friends who literally didn't care about English. It was just Arabic all the time. And once I started mixing with them, my Arabic really skyrocketed in terms of speaking. But before that, it was just like either students who learned Arabic and didn't, wasn't really fluent in it or students who wanted English from me. So they would only give me like an hour of Arabic and then and then I'd have to give them some English. So yeah, I think uh, in terms of language, that's what I experienced. Yeah, I, f- I felt that as well. A lot of people sort of leaned on you to like be their sort of English English language buddy, yeah. 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 I actually had a very strange experience with one of the professors. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if I told you guys before, but it was an Arabic class. It was um, yeah, it's oh, just an introductory Arabic class. Yeah. And uh, the professor gave everyone assignments, and knowing I was, uh, you know, from 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 Sydney, uh, he gave me a special assignment where it's an Arabic class, by the way. <laughs> where i had to proofread i think it was a 300 or 400 page article written in english written in english um i think that was one thing that really turned me off as well you know of the of the whole thing um and and i started it I, i i went through it you know i started going through it and it was it was an article to do with arabic but it was written in english and it was just taking so long with all the 
uh, syntax errors and grammar errors. I mean, it was taking a ridiculous amount of time to do yeah. three, four hundred pages. You know, so like I gave Did up. Did you end up finishing it? No, I didn't. No, I mean, I just, <laughs> just fled I, the country. <laughs> you literally, I fled the country. <laughs> <laughs> You did you like ever contact that professor again? No, I did. I did speak to him oh, after that. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. so I feel bad for at least. Did you send him the pages that you did? No, I did. I didn't even do that, man. I was just like, I was just over it at that, at that point. You know, I had mm. all these issues with the um, administration as well, visa. You know, running yeah. around and yeah. No, but this so, is a good segue. Kind of, sorry, yeah. no, go ahead. No, no, I, I just wanted, I, yeah, I only ended up staying in uh, UIA for about a year, year and a half, maybe. So, yeah, that's yeah. enough. That's enough to learn. I feel like what the UIA experience is about. So, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That, it was a great experience. Yeah, for sure, as well. No, but I was gonna say, I feel like just to kind of tail code off that last conversation was, uh, you know, there's if for Westerners that go to UIA, I feel like in some capacity, they will have to do some kind of proofreading or English language teaching. It comes up almost inevitably. I think yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. I haven't met, yeah. met only maybe one person that didn't, the one person from the West that didn't do some kind of English teaching, but for the rest of us, you know, uh, we've all done something. I actually made money doing that. I, I taught English at, for uh, one of the tutoring departments in the university, and uh, I worked for a journal as well. I uh, did a lot of the English stuff there, and a lot of just proofreading for the professors and that type of stuff. So it can be a good side hustle. No, mm-hmm. if you want to make some money on the side, if you have English, good command of English, you can make a decent amount of money. Yeah, yeah teaching. Because sure. I would get I would get proofread requests from students outside of UI even, like they had got my number and they would ask me to proofread a, an article or a thesis. Do you still get like requests? That. Uh, I do actually, oh, <laughs> but really? from like uh closer friends that are still there, but not like random people. But they still ask me occasionally, "Can you check this out?" So, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I remember you were doing a lot of proofreading towards the end when you had nothing else to do. <laughs> yeah, when I was being held hostage by the university, I was such a great student. I guess they wanted to keep me. Not really. That's that's yeah. such a joke. But uh, yeah, yeah. I so I I would sum up like our experience as maybe the academic side was extremely lacking, but the experiential side and the, um, I don't know how, how you how you want to put it into words, but the the feeling of being there and experiencing different things that was uh, that kind of offset the the bad parts. But if you're a like if you really want to learn Arabic or you really want to uh, learn some science in in our religion to a really high degree, I would probably not recommend UIA, and I think. Um, Bilal and Omar could probably vouch for that, but if you need a you know a stepping stone or you know somewhere to begin, it's a very good place to start. Except for research degrees, I think it was very good for research degrees, masters and PhD. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I, I guess you know our recommendation is um is a bit qualified. Like Sadwan mentioned, you can go if you're this type of student. It's a good place for you. But if you're not, then don't go. Same thing with Omar. Omar's like if you're a master student you know, uh, maybe or a research student, it's better for you. Yeah, I think I, I would agree with those assessments. UI is not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, but the thing is, like, I'm not even sure entirely who I would, other than master's students or, or, or research students, uh, 
Um, I'm not entirely sure who I would recommend it to. You know, like like Sadman said, you can go for the experience, but is it worth the the money and the in the time? You know, or is it like 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 an option of last resort? Like I can't go study anywhere else overseas, so I should go study here. Or, I mean, for me, what I did was <clears throat> I didn't want to s- just sit around at home. And Jordan's extremely expensive, and you can vouch for yeah. that compared to Malaysia. So, I mean, if I'm going to just stay at home and do nothing versus uh, maybe going to Malaysia and just getting my foot into something, uh, that's a good option. But like, just, but if you could go to Egypt, same, I think it's even cheaper in Egypt than it is in Malaysia if you're, if you're worried about finances. Mm-hmm. and yeah. Right? So, I mean, everything has its drawbacks and its pros and its cons. Um but yeah, I think UIA, alhamdulillah, because I'm still there, I can't really... <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, it's good. You, I think you've given it a pretty honest review about how you feel about it. I don't think you really held anything anything back. But, you know, now the issue of, you know, coronavirus and, you know, is it, you know, worth studying online? And I guess you can speak more to that, Sadman. How do you feel about that? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, if you want to study online, uh, you lose the huge experience of being a student of knowledge and um, walking around the campus and just feeling it physically. Online is just like, okay, yeah, uh, whatever. It's not really, it's not intensive. It's not pressured. It's not, um, you know, I feel like I'm getting somewhere. Um, If you're there, you're kind of forced because your parents aren't around. Your friends aren't there to bother you. Um, you're sort of in this zone or in this um, uh, environment where you're kind of forced to become better at whatever you're trying to do. I mean, you could stay in your room and, you know, feel bad for a couple of days. But then after that, you're like, you know, I got to get to work. I can't just stay here all the time. But at home, maybe you'll eat some good food. You'll talk to your mom and then you'll feel good again <laughs> and forget about what you need to do with your life. So um, maybe if someone's in a rut, uh, they can go to UIA and get out of that rut. These are um, not stellar reviews coming from Sanman. He's like, I don't okay, know. It's- yeah. it's a very it's a very mixed uh uh i mean okay here i can say this if i had to do it again would i yes i would do it obviously i would i would you know some of the things that i could have done better is like i would studied way more at the beginning because at the beginning i was just sad i was like i'm not at home my brother's not here you know for me it was hard at the beginning but if i had to do it again i could really use that time and just study about like if you if you have a mindset of studying by yourself you could really get that in ua because you're just eating your room and you just study all the time. You could really do that. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, I guess, uh, for me, you know, uh, like you know, the master student, it, it's a bit different. You know, like it's the research degree, and a lot of that can be done overseas. And but if I had to go back and do it again, I would. Mm-hmm. But I would do it in less amount of time. But the thing is. I wanted to do it in a less amount of time, but I was held up, like like uh, quite quite uh, literally by administrative uh, incompetence. Like early on, they they couldn't they wouldn't schedule me for certain classes, even though there was no reason for them not to. Right. Um, and so I was held up for like I think I was held up for two semesters, basically a year. So I could have been yeah. out in two, but I was there wow. for three. Uh, and so think about that level of in- incompetence. And I really will call it that. I know that it's, that may sound a bit harsh for people that don't know much about the university and just hear me saying this now, but. Mm-hmm. You know, I have three years of experience under my belt, and I'm not saying this mm-hmm. just to rag on UIA for no right, no reason. But I would go do it again. Uh, but I would like to have done it in, in in a shorter amount of time. Yeah, and I think it matters too. You're getting older; you have other things to do. You can't just be spending an extra, a whole extra year in your twenties, uh, doing nothing. 
Yeah. 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 It's it's a valid criticism and it's frustrating if, when it just comes down to organization and administration, you know, something that should be under wraps a long time ago, you know, so and it's affecting people's lives. I mean, Omar, what would you say about your overall experience? Um, I would also, if I had the time again, do it again, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the one that um, got away. Yeah, even for a year or one semester, I think it is a great experience. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe not the whole bachelor degree, though. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it really was a great experience. Alhamdulillah. Yeah, I think I think the water brand. What I think one of the biggest reasons I think we all liked it is because of the people, especially international students. Um, you really build a connection like us. We we wouldn't even be doing this podcast if it weren't for UIA. Um, inshallah, hopefully we can um, you know benefit the people with this podcast even more than it is right now. So I mean, uh, UIA at least produce one good thing. <laughs> this, this podcast, that's true, that's true. And I guess if any anyone in the audience has any questions, please don't hesitate uh, to reach out to any one of us. Uh, we have an email for the podcast. Just drop your questions in. We'd more be more than happy to uh, to answer your questions about UIA for the things we didn't. Uh, cover here. Yeah. Um, One thing we didn't mention, guys, which was really good at UIA was the was the library. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know Bilal was a big fan. He was uh, playing. Yeah, I was. I, mean, I was. <laughs> I was. I was getting books out, and I did a lot of my research in there. It's also air conditioning, which is a luxury in Malaysia. You definitely yeah. need it. I was dragged. Um, I was dragged by Paul. I was there a lot. Yeah. Because of him. yeah. yeah it's, uh, oh, yeah, it's look. It's, it's like a four story building. You know, it's got a lot of resources, a lot of books. They've got uh, journal access, uh, access to previous theses. theses or, mm-hmm. I don't know what's a plural of thesis. <laughs> theses. Yeah, though, so. The computer on the left, guys, remember that. <laughs> yeah, so it was a great resource, I think, the library. Yeah, I think, oh, also one thing I forgot, to, we forgot to mention is that it is a mixed university, as in, like, there are women and, you know, men everywhere. So... If you're um, conscious about that, that's also something to think about. Um, Co-educational, yeah. Yeah, like you, you would be in the same class, so you'd be sitting beside women. Uh, I don't know, maybe a lot of people, you know, as men, we suffer from, <laughs> I don't know how to put this correctly, but, you know, it is an issue. And if you're looking for uh, if you're looking for a place to, you know, focus on your deen, um, you probably want to think twice because uh, uh, every class I've had... <laughs> Well, this just took a really weird turn. And I, I apologize. Either way, what I'm saying is, what if you if you're <laughs> conscious about that, you want to think about that before. Yeah, I mean, Southman raises raises a valid point. If you go study in Madrasa in let's say the Indian subcontinent, or if you're going to let's say uh, Saudi Arabia to go study there, those classes are not mixed. You know, you are with uh, the, your own gender in those classes. So that's I see where Southman's uh, definitely coming from. There are I would say actually most of the student bodies women. Uh, that's. I think that's uh, definitely the case in Malaysia. Especially the Islamic faculty, yeah. Yeah. I'm talking about the student body, but yeah, the faculty, a lot of it's women as well. Uh, sorry, I, I meant the um, Islamic studies kulia, sorry. I think uh, majority the majority of students in Islamic studies is women, yeah. Yeah, and I think majority of teachers are even women. I want to yeah. say. I mean, I mean the, uh, my, four, my first four semesters, my Arabic classes, I had three uh, female teachers and one male teacher at the end. So there's nothing against them, but like this is this is the environment you're in. All right, this has been a very productive talk. I hope 
on behalf of all three of us that the audience has learned something about our experience in Malaysia and UI specifically. Like I said earlier, if you have anyone has any questions about the university, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. We'd be more than willing to answer your questions. And once again, thanks for stopping by the Caravan Sarai. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.